Welcome to the latest episode of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dollar. This week we're taking a look at the Season 2 premiere, titled Little Green Men. So at this point, the show has been renewed. It actually has a shot at telling long-term stories now. The ratings weren't that great in Season 1, as we previously discussed, but since Fox basically had nothing to replace it with, they gave it a second shot. This season premiere was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, They've written a lot of the ongoing story episodes up to this point, and it started from Glenn Morgan's original idea. He had actually written an unrelated script called Little Green Men, about a man who went down to Central America to check out one of the SETI telescopes, and he cannibalized it for concepts for this one. That also makes it unique in the sense that it is the only season premiere not written by Chris Carter through all nine seasons of the series. In the director chair, we've got David Nutterback, who really helped establish the tone and feel of the X-Files early on. We're seeing a lot of that here. There's very effective use of light and shadows all the way throughout. This is particularly true when we're looking at the scenes that take place in the forest late in the episode. This one begins, again, with the teaser structure. It's a little bit different. Uh, Mulder doesn't appear on screen during the teaser, but he does have an opening narration that sets the teaser up. So it's the closest he's come to being an active part of the teaser so far, although he's still not quite there. And as it comes, the X-Files is still shut down. That was the way season one ended. Just in case they didn't get the renewal, it could have been the season or series finale, the way that played out. As it is, it is just the season finale. So the X-Files are shut down, but Mulder and Scully are still working for the Bureau in different capacities. Scully seems to have fared the better of the two, which is to be expected. Though up to this point, the X-Files aren't terribly personal for her. They started getting that way with Beyond the Sea and with the experiences she had towards the end of the last season, but it's still largely Mulder's quest. Mulder is stuck doing surveillance with wiretapping of some pretty monotonous conversations, and he's clearly been there a long time. We get that set up in the first few seconds just as the camera pans over, and we see a huge bag of uneaten sunflower seeds, and a huge pile of the shells from sunflower seeds that have been eaten piled up on the floor around him. So he has clearly been snacking away at these for quite some time. Generally speaking, his life is in a bit of a downward spiral. He's starting to doubt himself. He's doubting his memories of his sister's abduction. And in fact, he doesn't even seem to be remembering it the same way that he did in the first season. Now, instead of her being taken surprisingly in the middle of the night and he had no idea what was going on, he remembers a game of strategy being interrupted while they were watching the Watergate scandal unfold on TV. And this is our first quasi-look at the aliens that we're going to see in terms of the long-term story arcs of the series. And one of the choices that the producers made was to go with the classic alien look. So this is sort of the inverted teardrop head, the large black eyes, almost no nose, a mouth, tall, skinny. It's the classic look you hear from all the alien abduction stories and mythology that have been leading up to this point. And they made that a deliberate and conscious choice to tap into to the existing knowledge and existing bias of the audience. Mulder and Scully are not even assigned together. As we said, Scully's teaching at Quantico. Mulder's on surveillance duty. Even when he passes her in the hallway, he doesn't necessarily notice her. She has to set up a meet in the Watergate Hotel parking lot just to talk to him, even though she has nothing new, and he's concerned about them being still under surveillance and being watched. Now, early in the first season, he was able to mention that the only reason his work had been allowed to continue is because he'd made friends in Congress. That was something he mentioned right in the pilot. Here, we're starting to see some of those friends. It's actually Senator Richard Matheson, named 
for the science fiction and horror author, and played by Raymond J. Barry, who's been in Justified, CSI, NCIS, Cool Running, Scarecrow, Mrs. King, Frasier, and a number of other projects. And he's the one that puts Mulder on the track down to the SETI telescope in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. The idea being that proof of contact from alien life has come through. So he's sending Mulder down there, hopefully he'll get there before the Blue Berets, and get some of that evidence that he's looking for. So we end up with a very Mulder-centric story. Scully has a relatively small part in it. She is basically there as a conversation piece to help set things up. We do see a lot of her skills as an FBI agent when she finds out Mulder's missing and orchestrates her own investigation to go track him down and pick him up. And this includes double blinds going to his apartment and claiming she's just there to feed the fish, which allows her to surreptitiously take some evidence. The nice thing about this, it is a computer printout that she had sent to the printer right before she was interrupted. It's a lot more plausible than a lot of shows where someone tucks away that printout and the other people who are there to watch them don't recognize it. In this case, they see it, but they don't recognize it for what it is. They assume it's a computer self-test and throw it away. And Scully just subtly spills some fish food as a way to get access to the garbage. So she pulls that top piece of paper off to fill it with the fish food as an excuse cleaning it up. Which again shows a nice move on Scully's part. There's a lot of respect for the audience as she's evading pursuit in the airport, uh, giving her own pursuers just enough false information to put them on the wrong track, but making it subtle enough that they don't realize she's putting them on the wrong track until it's too late. And she is able to track Mulder down in Puerto Rico, partly by figuring out which alias he used when he took that plane. We also get some great scenes between Skinner and the cigarette smoking man in this episode. Skinner was originally introduced in Tombs in late season one as another adversary within the Bureau for Mulder and Scully. And he starts off that way. He does seem to be very much working for the cigarette smoking man. And when he's dressing Mulder down, calling this a four-bagger, and Mulder's in serious trouble for abandoning his post and heading down to Puerto Rico to try and get this information from the telescope, Mulder talks about how he's been treated through this, how he had enough information to make the arrests. He was just basically set up and abandoned. And he also mentions that it's illegal to tap his phone without a court order. And Mitch Pileggi plays this very nicely here. This is clearly news to him, and he's understanding a little bit of the tactics that the cigarette smoking man is using. He doesn't fully become an ally for Mulder and Sculler at this point, but we do see, in the way Pileggi plays it especially, we see his thought process entirely in body language, and he's no longer completely on the CSM's side, even if he was before. He actually tells the cigarette smoking man to get the hell out of his office. He then puts Mulder back on the same dead-end assignment he was in before, but with none of the other disciplinary measures that they'd been talking about just a few moments before. So we are starting to see that shift in Skinner coming through. And by about this time next season, we're going to see some great moments between Skinner and the Cigarette Smoking Man. So that pretty much wraps up the core of what we have for this episode, uh, Little Green Men kicking off the second season. Join us again in two weeks when we discuss The Host which introduces another major name in terms of the X-Files creators, but in a very unusual way. Please join us again for that. Intro and outro music is by Lastwell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content, copyright 2014, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments and feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes.